that then a good Tuesday to all of you. Thanks for joining us as always. Happy New Year. Hopefully you had a great, safe holiday weekend. Let's start with Zappi and the Patriots and that roller coaster because, again, we saw the inconsistent play at quarterback. Patriots lose to Buffalo 27-21 on Sunday. Not a surprise, but an ugly start, man. I mean, that is as bad of a start as you can have. Interception, interception, fumble, interception. And we saw some of the tendencies from this Patriots offense come back and bite them against the Bills. Russell Douglas obviously watched film on Bailey Zappi, understood what he liked to do, and attacked that. So you can't start a game with four turnovers. Once you do that, you're in trouble. As Benny's Benz jumps in early and says you can't throw three interceptions in a row and win any type of NFL game. I mean, just a brutal start on Sunday. Absolutely brutal, inexcusable. For as bad as this team has been offensively, that was one of the worst starts that you could ever imagine. I didn't think it would look that bad to begin this game. But here we are, because it did. And it's the same old Bailey Zappi that we talked about. You know, when you look at his third interception, that's on Jalen Rager. I'm not going to kill Zappi for that one. But two early interceptions, right off the bat, first play, you screw up. Farrow Brown is stripped, but it's the same Bailey Zappi. And when we talked about Zappi and whether or not he was QB1 material, and I said from the very beginning, it's all about consistency. When you talk about quarterback play, you talk about consistency. Can the guy day in and day out make the plays? Or is this going to be some kind of an up and down roller coaster? And with Bailey, it's been a roller coaster. He's been incredibly inconsistent. The first couple of interceptions on Sunday. He was absolutely mid in the first half. And that's what we've seen from Zappi. We've seen one good half, one terrible half. One good quarter, one terrible quarter. There's no consistency. There's no calm throughout a game from beginning to end. There's always going to be that one quarter. There's always going to be that one half where he just looks like he's lost or makes bad decisions or just doesn't step up the way you hoped he would. And in some cases, you see him, he makes plays. He makes plays downfield. He's able to do something, get something out of nothing, but it's this up and down play. And when you talk about inconsistency, you talk about a backup quarterback. You talk about somebody who might be able to start a game or two, but you inevitably have to move away from that person because they can't give you the consistency that you desperately need at the most critical position. The interceptions, turnovers, again, he was better in the second half, but the damage was done in the first half. The up-and-down nature of Bailey Zappi. And the Patriots, again, made plenty of mistakes. We've seen this as this season has gone on. And what drives you crazy, and I just posted this on Twitter slash X just a little while ago. You can follow me at Nick C Radio. What drives you crazy is you're watching a game like that on Sunday. And it's just it's the same mistakes over and over that we've seen from this team. And this is a down year in the AFC. The AFC is completely average. And this was an opportunity for the Patriots to come back after last year, make some noise, make a move, and be able to get into the playoffs. A down year in the AFC, and you're looking at, at best, a 5-12 and record to finish this season. You lost to the Giants, you lost to the Commanders. Those two teams have a combined nine wins. This was a great opportunity that the Patriots have just swung and missed on. And it's the mistakes. It's Kyle Duggar not getting physical at the line of scrimmage against Kincaid. You have to get physical at the line of scrimmage. You can't allow the free release. It's just brutal. 
for some reason, the defense, which was great for the most part. We'll talk about those guys in a little bit. But in the fourth quarter, you're looking at a third and seven, and the coverage is soft. Why? I don't know. You missed the field goal. We've seen that before from Chad Ryland. Rager runs the wrong route. That results in the interception, the turnovers. It's the same mistakes that we've seen. We also saw a decision by Bill Belichick that was incredibly conservative, which we'll get into in a minute. But before we do, I give you a reminder. If you're watching right now, you like what you're watching, give us that thumbs up. Whether you're on Twitter, Facebook, especially on YouTube, give us that thumbs up. Takes a second of your time and helps this program tremendously. Don't forget to comment. I see a lot of you commenting. I'll get to those comments in a moment. And don't forget to subscribe. Every subscription counts, baby. So let's drive those numbers up. I appreciate every single one of you. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Pods, don't forget to rate and review. All right, before we get to Belichick and the conservative nature of his coaching that we've seen time and time again, let's get to uh, some of these uh, reactions. UB Trippin jumped on early today, said trade Belichick to the Jets. I don't know if the Jets would be interested at this point, which says an awful lot. Amstel 54 says the Zappy experience has been canceled. Thumbs down. Think about that gif of the guy in the crowd. The thumb down <laughs> at the what was it, the Mets game? Thumbs down. The Zappy experience canceled. Pat Almeida. I got close to wanting Mac in that game. Looked ugly early. Yeah, I felt like we might have been one turnover away from a Mac Jones sighting. If Zappy threw another pick, I thought for sure. Like again, the, the Rager pick. That's not on. That's not on Zappy. But if Zappy threw another pick on him, I thought we were close to seeing Mac jump in there, because it gets to the point where you don't want to embarrass the player, right? At some point, you got to say this guy's turned the ball over three, four times, five times. We have to do something here. David Savage jumps in and says, "I wanted Mac to come in and win." Oh man, could you imagine? Could you imagine if Mac Jones got into that game and won it? Patriots fans would hate Mac even more. They would hate him even more. Oh, he ruined our draft chances. We had a chance to be in the top three or four, and Mac Jones came in and he screwed it up. If he didn't beat Buffalo twice, (laughs) he would have been crushed. Mark Foster says, Happy New Year and a new quarterback from the UK. Hello to the UK. Appreciate you, Mark, jumping in. And look, as this week goes on, I want to make this clear to all of you watching. We all understand the situation. So, you know, as this week goes on, we are going to start jumping into draft talk, off-season talk. I'm going to give you my off-season plan as far as what I think Robert Kraft should do. We'll get into all of those conversations. I know a lot of people want to jump into them right now, but we have a lot of time, folks. We have a lot of time. We've got three-plus months until free agency. We've got uh, almost five months until the draft. We have a lot of time to discuss the off-season and what we think should be done. We look at the autopsy today from the Buffalo game and some other things with Trent Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. But as this week goes along, we are going to start looking into that off-season stuff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Ricky jumps in and says he's up and down because he's an up and down player or because the offensive roster isn't good. Uh, Ricky, I think he's just an up and down player. I mean, I, again, he's got limited physical traits, limited physical ability. Now, he is certainly more agile than Mac Jones. I think he has a slightly better arm than Mac Jones, but but they're similar quarterbacks. And so, yeah, guys are going to falter with an offensive line in front of you that's constantly giving up pressure. It's going to make it tougher on you. Wide receivers that don't get open consistently, going to make it tougher on you. But Zappy, the inconsistencies in the mistakes in the, in the, in the short to intermediate areas throwing the football, you know, the, the lack of quick decision-making, those kinds of things, they are what they are. And so I, I think we look at Zappy, and yes, we explain that some of this is due to issues with offensive line, but those first two picks, those are on Zappy. Those are on Zappy. And so, you know, every play is different. Context matters in, in every single way, shape, or form. But, you know, every play is different when you look at these mistakes, when you look at the roller coaster play. Zappy's pick against Kansas City, you know, that that's that's on Zappy. So the up and down play, some of it certainly is about the surrounding cast. Some of it has to do with Zappy. Rich Don 8 jumps in. Doesn't help when OC keeps dialing up passes within five yards. Offense is predictable. Here's the thing, though, Rich. That's how they beat the Bills the first time around. The Patriots beat the Bills at Gillette Stadium off of quick pass game. The issue here is that Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, if there is one significant difference, which we've talked about, it's that Zappi is more prone to go for the big play. He's more of a quote-unquote gunslinger. His strength is not necessarily making those quick decisions in the short passing game. That's not what he does great. And so the Patriots, they did change up the plan on Sunday. They did take deeper shots against that Bills defense. But some of these throws, like the throw to Parker, okay, that slant route, if you look at this film, and Evan Lazar had this on, on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, that interception where he throws the slant route to Parker, he has popped Douglas wide open. Screen game, right side, wide open. If he hits Douglas, Douglas gets at least 15 yards. If not, takes it to the house. So there are different options within a play. It's not just go to that guy, and that's the only thing we want you to do. And so that's on Zappy. All right, let's continue here about the game. The Grizz 15 says Mac should have come back on Sunday. Again, I think we were one pick away, one turnover away from Zappy, another one before that move was made, and uh, that didn't happen. But I, I do think we were close. I do think we were close to seeing the Mac attack <laughs> being out there. Uh, Kelso jumps in, says, we need a new elite quarterback and a new backup quarterback. Renew, renew, renew. Uh, you need offensive line help. You need a true legitimate wide receiver one. Uh, you know, you need a lot within this offense. So, it, yes, a quarterback will help. But look at Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is not playing nearly as well as he has in the past several years, and it's not because Mahomes woke up and just forgot how to play football. He's dealing with wide receivers that you know aren't getting open, are dropping passes. Travis Kelsey looks much older. He's been banged up. The offensive line has had some issues. So you look around. You know Josh Allen has had some issues. So even if you're a very good quarterback, look at Brock Purdy. 
who is having a tremendous season. He had two or three straight bad weeks. Trent Williams was out at left tackle. Debo Samuel was out. So, you know, the quarterback isn't just a magic elixir. Back to the uh, back to the game on Sunday, the end of the half. Here we are again. Bill Belichick being conservative. We did a podcast going on well, almost three months ago now at this point. You guys can check it out if you'd like in your spare time. But we did a podcast on Belichick coaching scared. And this goes back to 2012. And we saw it again on Sunday. I know you turned the football over four times early on, but this is a four-win team. Buffalo is getting the football to start the third quarter. You have over a minute left in all three of your timeouts. You run a quarterback sneak, and then you take a knee. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? I just I don't understand the conservative play calling by Bill Belichick way too often. I don't get it. Zappi actually had some rhythm. The offense had some rhythm. They moved the ball a little bit in the second quarter. And you just tell the whole world, okay, I, I don't believe in the quarterback. I don't believe in the offense. I don't believe we can execute. I, I don't believe in being aggressive. We have four wins. We're on the road against a division rival, better team than we are. They're getting the football to start the second half. And what happened? You QB sneak, you take a knee, Buffalo gets the football, Buffalo scores a touchdown to start that third quarter, and what do you know? You're done. You lose a one-possession game. Maybe, just maybe, if you were aggressive and you went for it to try to get, I don't know, some points before halftime, maybe that changes the tenor of the game. But we never get that from Belichick. We honestly don't. Whether it's punting from his near 50-yard line, if it's not going for it on fourth and short in some instances, this is who Belichick's been since 2012. Don't give me the quarterback stuff. Don't give me the, oh, well, they turned the ball over. This has been Bill since 2012, one of the most conservative head coaches in all of football. And that's why you don't score points. It's quarterback play. It's offensive line. It's lack of wide receiver talent. And it's the fact that the coach seemingly is in love with the idea of winning football games 16 to 13. Loves it. Let's give some love to the defense before we move on. I mean, just being able to come up with stops and holding Buffalo to field goals after those turnovers, you've got to give the defense a ton of credit. Those quick possession changes, the ability to adjust on the fly, react quickly, and play the kind of defense that they played with their backs up against the wall constantly. I can't say enough about this defense. This defense is a top 10 defense without Matthew Judon, without Christian Gonzalez. Jonathan Jones has got a bad knee. He's out there shutting down Stephon Diggs for the most part. I mean, I, I can't say enough about this defense. They got pressure on Allen all day long. Josh Allen looked absolutely shook because of that pressure. I can't speak any more glowingly about Gerard Mayo, Steve Belichick, and Bill Belichick and what they've done with this defense. As much as I could sit here and crap on the offensive operation and crap on Belichick's decision-making when it comes to offense, defensively, this team has been great considering the circumstances. You can't ask any more from this defense. Fantastic interception by Austin. Great play by him. Read Josh Allen like a freaking book. They were good against the run. They've been good against the run all year long. They played a little bit more man coverage this time around Buffalo versus the first time this year. And, and one of the biggest changes is something that I've been screaming from the mountaintops over the last few years about, and that's the idea of team speed. 
This defense is so much faster sideline to sideline than it has been in years. And that shows no longer is Josh Allen being able to run around the field and pick up 15, 20 yards every time because nobody can catch up to him. Allen completed 50% of his passes, a buck 69, uh, no touchdowns, one pick, passer rating of 53.3. His QBR was 38.4. He had that fumble. What the hell was, was he doing there? I mean, I, that fumble was egregious. He missed digs deep, and he had some drops that hurt him. I thought Bill O'Brien opened up the screen game a little bit. Nice screen to Harris. Nice screen to Pop. Rager's kickoff return. Someone tell me why Ty Montgomery was actually playing as much as he was on special teams. Why was Ty Montgomery returning kicks instead of Jalen Rager? And don't tell me Rager signed in October. It's kickoff returns. You go left, you go right, you go straight. You go up the middle. Kickoff returns. But we had Ty Montgomery out there every weekend going like this with his two arms extended. I don't get it. I don't get it. Peter Jacoby jumps in, says, Allen feels their Super Bowl chances slipping. Uh, he's, that's why he's not playing with confidence. Bit of uh, Baker Odell I'm sensing from Allen Diggs link too. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Diggs this offseason. There was that wonky offseason with them last year, and some people thought Diggs might get dealt. Uh, Griffin Kelly jumps in, says, whoa, folks, we got to stop the zappy hate. We need three first-half picks this Sunday to get the second overall pick. And snow might hit. How about Mother Nature? Mother Nature might have our backs. We might have a snowstorm. Let the snow linger into Sunday. Give me a 3-0 Jets win. I'll take it. Seven turnovers, I'll take it. Jimmy B says they broke Chad Ryland, too. You drafted a kicker in the fourth round. Not only that, you moved up to draft the kicker. Yeah. Mike Larry, if the organization is breaking players, it doesn't matter if they pick first overall. Uh, Mike, I would imagine that Bill Belichick will not be running the program, will not be running the draft, will not be running free agency. So I think what we have to do is we have to give the new person the benefit of the doubt until they prove us wrong. Right? So, you know, we'll see how it all comes together. We'll see who the GM is, what their ideas are. But I don't think we'll see Belichick running this draft in April. All right, Trent Brown, healthy scratch. Don't forget to give us that like, thumbs up. We see the numbers going up right now. Thumbs and comments and subscriptions, all of those help us beat the algorithm. And that's what we're trying to do here with the Nick Cattle Show every Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. sharp on YouTube. Give us that thumbs up. Takes a second of your time. Throw in a comment, subscribe. And if you're listening on uh, Spotify and Apple Pods, uh, rate and review. Trent Brown was a healthy scratch. We know the last few weeks he has looked like he's been quitting at times. And look, the 12-loss team, which is the most losses in Robert Kraft's 30 years of ownership. It's the most for Bill Belichick in 29 years as a head coach. It's the most for the franchise since 1992. Some guys are going to quit. And Trent Brown uh, started to quit on this team a few weeks back. And Mike Giardi wrote about uh, Brown at Boston Sports Journal. He said, internally, Brown has not only been testing the limits of the coaching staff's resolve, but downright thumbing his nose at what's expected and required. Per sources, Brown's lateness, which he denied at earlier this season, is a constant issue. 
The veteran hasn't taken to coaching and is looked upon by those in the room as an independent contractor, only concerned with himself and his dollars. The latter has also been an issue for the Pats and Browns since the spring. He believed the team would take care of him long-term. He told Sophie Weller from A to Z Sports precisely that. Instead, all they were willing to do was give him a raise of $2 million this summer. Brown played at a relatively high level for the first seven weeks, Giardi writes, but suffered ankle and knee injuries during the Week 8 loss to Miami. He wouldn't find his way back into the lineup until Week 12. Internally, Giardi writes, I'm told there was belief Brown could have returned before and did not. So people in the building believe that Trent Brown was healthy enough to play, but didn't want to play. The belief was that he was protecting himself and his future earnings in a season without the promise of a postseason. With the number of players on the roster who were playing through injuries, including those on the offensive line, needless to say, that hasn't gone over very well, and nor should it. Bye-bye, Trent Brown. I've had enough of the Trent Brown experience, in and out of shape constantly, showing up late constantly, reportedly. Doesn't want to play. I'm all set. The, the guy is tremendously talented. He, he could be a top five tackle. He could be a top 10 left tackle in the game. At times this year, he looked like a top five left tackle in the game. But he doesn't take it seriously enough. Bye-bye. He's going to lose out on $6.5 million in incentives. Oh, well. You should have cared. If you cared, you would have made your money. And, of course, that opens up a massive hole for the Patriots. Because now you you have to address left tackle. Maybe you feel like Michael Wenu can play right tackle. I'll leave that up to Evan Lazar and Greg Bedard, who, you know, break down the offensive line stuff. I know Bedard says he believes Owenu could be a tackle long-term. Lazar wrote at Patriots.com that he doesn't believe Owenu, or at least he's a little sketchy on the idea of Owenu being your full-time right tackle long-term. So you might need two tackles dependent on how you feel regarding Owenu at right tackle. But Trent Brown, see you later. Goodbye. Get the hell out. You know, let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. I'm moving on. So what's the offensive tackle plan? We'll have to see. And that's tied at the hip with quarterback play. As we've talked about, quarterback needs protection. So what are you doing at tackle, left and right? Trent Brown, though, I I just don't see it. Meanwhile, Juju Smith-Schuster. Placed on the IR. Ends his miserable season. When you look at Juju this year, 29 catches. 29 catches, 260 yards, and a touchdown. Jacoby Myers, who you let walk out the door, 68 catches, 746, seven touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins, who you could have signed if you gave him the most guaranteed money because that's what he was looking for. He was looking for the Schottel. DeAndre Hopkins, guess what he's done? 1,000 yards. 1,000 yards in Tennessee. With Ryan Tannehill and Will Levis. I think Malik Willis played a game. Hopkins still has over 1,000 yards with a game to go. Six touchdowns, 68 catches. So Myers and Hopkins both have 68 catches. Six and seven touchdowns, respectively. Juju, 29 catches and a touchdown. Massive waste. A massive waste. Can he get healthy? I don't know. The knee looks toast. Can he maybe be your wide receiver three or wide receiver four next year? That might be the best case scenario. Can you trade him? 
What's that look like? Evan Lazar posted this. Juju's contract in 2024, his cap hit is $10.4 million. If he's cut, the dead money is $12.3 million. Ipso facto, they're not going to cut Juju Smith-Schuster. They're not going to have $12 million of dead money for cutting him. If they trade him, the dead money is $5.3 million. Patriots would lose about $3 million extra in cap space if they cut Juju before June 1st. So really the only way you can get away from Juju Smith-Schuster is by trading him. And I would say it's impossible, but they traded Jonu Smith. So maybe it's not impossible. But my goodness. And, and the, the conversation about Juju, people will say, oh, well, this is revisionist history. I saw some of that on Twitter. Look, I don't think any of us knew that Juju's knee was as bad as it is. The Patriots knew. They had his medical reports. They ran him through a physical. They have conversations with people within the league. And due to the reporting over the past couple of months, it was rather obvious within the NFL that Juju was not healthy. So I actually liked the Juju Smith-Schuster signing because I thought he gave you a little bit more burst and boost than Jacoby did. But I would not have liked the signing if I knew Juju was on one leg. So you sign a guy who's on one leg to play wide receiver. Shocker, it didn't work out. And then you then you decided to extend Devontae Parker instead of signing DeAndre Hopkins. And I was well ahead of that one. I absolutely ripped the Patriots for not signing Hopkins. There were people actually arguing. There were people, go back in time, go back in like July. People arguing, saying the Patriots didn't need DeAndre Hopkins. Do you remember the people saying that DeAndre, oh, he doesn't practice. D-Hop will quit on his team. That guy is still balling out right now for a Tennessee team that has, what, five wins? And he's still out there making plays? Yeah, you, you didn't need DeAndre Hopkins. My goodness, he signed, for all intents and purposes, a one-year deal with Tennessee. You cannot bring back both Juju and Devontae Parker. You can't have those two guys on this roster next year. You can't do it. Can't do it, won't do it. You need to get younger. You need to get more explosive. My goodness. Peter Jacoby jumps in, says, I thought Juju just looked good because he was with Mahomes. Not a hard call to think Myers was better last year. Well, Juju played well when he was healthy in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, he was really good in Pittsburgh for a year or two when he was healthy. But he's just not healthy. Bum knee. Maybe maybe some stem cell stuff will happen, some stem cell injections. Maybe he'll, he'll find, you know, a, another leg in the offseason. I don't know. But egregious, egregious. Signing a guy who wasn't healthy over Jacoby Myers and then giving Parker an extension instead of signing DeAndre Hopkins. Two egregious decisions. And those decisions would have made a difference. You can't tell me that, you know, the Philly game to start this season, Kendrick Bourne drops a football that hits him right in the chest on third and long. Kayshawn Booty can't keep his feet in bounds. You can't tell me that Hopkins or Myers wouldn't make one play in that game that could have made a difference. You can't tell me that. Devontae Parker's drop against Vegas. Perfect throw down the sidelines. Drops it. Jalen Rager's drop downfield. Juju Smith-Schuster's drop against Washington. I mean, those plays. And look, maybe it's best that they didn't because now they're going to have, hopefully, fingers crossed, a top three pick. 
But I would argue that if you had Hopkins and Myers, we could be talking about a team that had a possibility to get into the playoffs with how bad the AFC has been this year. All right, let's quickly talk about the Red Sox. A lot happened over the weekend. Uh, they signed Lucas Giolito to a two-year, $38.5 million deal. Uh, he has an opt-out after year one. This is an Andrew Bailey project, new pitching coach. Of course, Giolito started the year last season. He was okay in the first half, and then he had a divorce. Things happened off-field, and uh, he really kind of sank in the second half. So they're hoping they can find the Giolito, who got Cy Young votes three straight years, going back to, what, 19, 20, and 21. So this is going to be an Andrew Bailey project. He did great work in San Francisco. Kevin Gossman, one of the guys that he really helped kind of reform and reshape. It's fine. Giolito's fine as a number three. But you obviously need more if you're the Red Sox. Giolito's not that front of the rotation guy that you need. So you need more. And you needed more after you signed Giolito. You need even more after you traded Chris Sale to Atlanta. So now you need two guys, in my estimation. You need two starters. With Chris Sale traded along with $17 million to Atlanta for Paul and Grissom, young middle infield prospect. And it looks like Grissom will be your everyday second baseman. I actually like this deal. I, I think this deal made a lot of sense. Baseball America says Grissom is hitting the minors at each of his appropriate age to level stops. In 2023, at age 22, Grissom hit 330, 419, 501 is the slash line. 35% better than league average. Bit of a tweener defensively. But he's got a good frame. Good athlete. Not a shortstop defensively. He's just not there as a shortstop. More so second baseman for you. Maybe plays a little bit of left field, but you got enough outfielders right now. So you bring in a young, cost-controlled, he's under control for six years, a young, cost-controlled second baseman for Chris Sale. We all know Sale. He's been broken down for years now. Appreciate and love what he did in 2017, 2018. The guy was a bulldog those two seasons for the Red Sox, a true ace in every sense of the word, but his body broke down. So you get six years of Grissom, and this is what the Red Sox should be doing. They should be using their money to bring in talent. That makes a lot of sense. So you spend the money. You, 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 you trade sale, and you give Atlanta $17 million so you can get a prospect like Grissom in return. Not a salary dump. People will say this was a salary dump. Not a salary dump. You got Vaughn Grissom back. And now this also opens the door for you to maybe deal Nick York. Maybe you have to deal Marcelo Meyer for a, a top-notch front rotation guy, a young arm. But this opens the door for you to trade with other teams now some of the talent that you've stockpiled in the farm. Grissom's going to be your everyday second baseman. Nick York is now available, right? He's probably available before this trade. He's absolutely available after it. So I, I like the trade. It makes a lot of sense. And if you, if you haven't noticed, I'm writing for Boston Sports Journal now. You can check out my column every Friday, bostonsportsjournal.com. But I wrote about the differences between Breslow and Bloom because everybody said, oh, they're the same person. No, the one difference that we have to see is a willingness to deal. And we've seen that with Breslow so far. He had a willingness to deal Verdugo to New York. 
He had the willingness to pull the trigger on a Chris Sale trade, which reportedly Bloom was not willing to do. So he's more active and he's shown more urgency when it comes to trades. That's something that Bloom would not do. Always hesitated to pull the trigger, especially around the deadline. Benny's Benz jumps in and says, Sox rotation sucks. Yeah, they need two more guys. They need two more guys. Giolito's fine as a three, but they need to go out and get a front-of-the-rotation starter. It doesn't sound like they're going to spend for Jordan Montgomery, so it looks like it's likely going to be a trade. I think you could see James Paxton back here, and I think they will trade for a young starter. But they need two starters, and one of those guys has to be somebody that I can buy into being a true number one. I don't think Bayo's that guy just yet. So they still have a lot of work. A lot of work. All right, that'll do it. My voice is getting fried. Got a little bit of a cold, if you couldn't tell. I appreciate the traffic today with this show and, and all of you supporting it. Can't say enough about all of you. We're going to dive deep into the Patriots offseason this week. We're going to get into the offseason plan, what I would do if I were Robert Kraft. We're going to go through some coaching names, some GM names, free agency. We have so much stuff to talk about. I cannot wait for this miserable season to end on Sunday, hopefully with a big fat L and a top three draft pick. But thank you all for giving the thumbs up. And if you haven't, take a second of your time and give us that thumbs up. Thanks for liking, commenting, and subscribing. And if you're listening to uh, Spotify or Apple Pods, don't forget to rate and review. Everybody have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. sharp on YouTube. It is the Nick Cattle Show.